Well, I hope we can have a little fun today and uh, maybe learn a few things uh, from God's Word as well. Uh, so first of all, I thought we would take a Father's Day quiz. So let's see if I can keep, keep, keep things going here. Here we go, Father's Day quiz. Uh, so some of this, especially the first questions, relate to uh, old TV shows and fathers that are in them. So if you're older, you're probably going to get more of these than if you're younger because, you know, in the old days we had good fathers on uh, TV. So uh, the first one, boy, I'm not sure if I can read from here. I'm going to have to look this way. Uh, the title role in the TV series Bachelor Father. And uh, you can raise your hand uh, at the answer. Number one, uh, how, many, how many think the uh, title role in Bachelor Father was played by Father Murphy? A. Okay. B, John Forsyth. C, Marlon Brando. D, Robert Young. Uh, the answer is John Forsyth, who is pictured here. He also was in... Uh, something called Dynasty, uh, and was, he was also the voice of Charlie and Charlie's Angels. So, uh, Bachelor Father, apparently not a show many of you remember ever seeing. Okay, the uh, next question. Let's see how we do on that one. How many got that one right? A couple of you. So, many of you have been eliminated already, unless Barb and others uh, missed some later. All right, and Make Room for Daddy. How many remember that show? <laughs> a few of you. <laughs> Even the older people are not remembering some of these shows, so we need to bring them back. Okay, who do we make room for? Uh, A, how many say Daddy Warbucks? All right, that's good. B, Daddy Longlegs. C, Danny Thomas. D, Danny DeVito. All right, Danny Thomas is the right answer. Yeah, make room for Daddy. Uh, The next question uh, another famous TV father who came uh, from a spinoff from Make Room for Daddy was A, how many say Andy Griffith? <laughs> B, Milton Berle? C, Father Flanagan? Or D, Bing Crosby? Okay, everybody knows it was Andy Griffith in the Andy Griffith show. Great father image. Uh, the next question, in Father Knows Best, how many remember that show? All right, a few of you. Um, Father was played by John Cameron Swayze. How many say A? B, Michael Landon. C, Robert Young. Or D, Merlin Olson. Okay, uh, most of you got that one. Robert Young. Father knows best. There he is. Uh, That's on once in a while on one of the channels. You can watch it. It's a good show. Uh, Pa on Little House on the Prairie was played by the person who also played A, Ben Ben Cartwright, B, Adam Cartwright, C, Haas Cartwright, or D, Little Joe Cartwright. Yeah, that's right. Little Joe uh, played Pa on Little House on the Prairie. Michael Landon. There we go. Uh, Next question. When you were a kid, you didn't have, how many say they didn't have Adidas? The rest of you did have Adidas? (laughs) I'm surprised. How many of you did not have... None of you? Oh, Sam, you did not have indoor plumbing. 
Okay. Is he the only one? Only one person did not have indoor plumbing? Okay. Uh, how many of you did not have video games? Yeah. I'm kind of surprised there are more hands on that, too. Uh, how many of you, uh, and when you were a kid, you didn't have uh, Kim Kardashian? How many did? Okay. I, you know, I saw some younger hands going up, too, which is good. They, they still don't have Kim Kardashian. Okay, uh, next question. When you were a kid, your father hit you with, how many say, a switch? Actually, I think my mother hit me more than my father did. But I remember one time she sent me out to get a switch. And I was being smart. I brought back a little twig. <laughs> Do you think that helped the situation? Uh, how many uh, were hit with a belt? Ooh, that's nasty. <laughs> how many were hit with uh, his fist? Ooh, that's bad. And uh, how many of you were hit with his words? Yeah, that can, that can be more harmful than ever, huh? Okay, uh, let's see. Do we have another question? Here we go. Eight. Uh, in the process, he boxed your ears. How many, how many, say he, how many of you he said he was boxing your ears? Okay, a couple of you. How many of you uh, he, he gave you a good whooping? All right, we've got a lot on that. Uh, for how many of you, uh, he knocked some sense into your head? Yeah. Some of you didn't take, did it? <laughs> and how many of you, he tanned your hide? Okay, nobody got that one. Okay. Uh, next question. When you were a kid, how far did you walk to school? All right. How, how many of you uh, walked one mile? Okay, we got quite a few. How many of you walked five miles? We got one back here walked five miles. How many of you walked ten miles? Okay, so we have no liars. How many of you walked fifteen miles through two feet of snow carrying your sister and her books? John, yeah. <laughs> uh, we think about fatherhood. We first want to ask the question, uh, who are we talking about? Uh, Brian did a great job a few weeks ago on Mother's Day of selecting a passage that included all of us in some way, even though he was directly talking about a, uh, a mothering situation. Uh, and so uh, the passage we're going to look at today starts with the word fathers. But even in the New Testament, the word that's translated fathers there is sometimes used of fathers and mothers, of parents. So I certainly want to include anyone with children in what we're addressing. Uh, but some of you, your children are grown. Uh, in that case, we're talking about fathering your grandchildren. Uh, fathering younger men in the congregation, for example. Uh, maybe you're single or don't have children. Uh, then we're talking about fathering uh, any teens you might see in the church or any children that are in the church or in the neighborhood. 
for some of you, maybe future reference for someday when you are a parent. The test of a father leadership can be demonstrated in the lives of two men. First of all, Max Jukes. He was an atheist who lived a godless life. He married an ungodly girl, and from the union there were 310 who died as paupers. 150 were criminals. Seven were murderers. 100 were drunkards. And more than half of the women were prostitutes. His 540 descendants cost the state one and a quarter million dollars. But praise the Lord, it works both ways. There's a record of a great American man of God who lived at the same time as Max Jukes. His name was Jonathan Edwards. He married a godly girl. An investigation was made of 1,394 known descendants of Jonathan Edwards, of which 13 became college presidents, 65 college professors, 3 United States senators, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 army and navy officers, 100 preachers and missionaries, 60 authors of prominence, one a vice president of the United States, 80 became public officials in other capacities, 295 college graduates, among whom were governors of states and ministers to foreign countries. His descendants did not cost the state a single penny. Now, what's the difference between the two? I think you can easily see that on the one hand, Max Jukes was a godless person who lived a godless life. Jonathan Edwards was a man who was committed to God, and God did great things through him and throughout his family. So we ask ourselves, what kind of leadership are we providing for our children or grandchildren? And how do we even know what it means to be a parent leader? Well, we can't look to the media for our role models. Uh, we, we see there uh, like guys like this and uh, like that. And you know, th- those are not the, the role models we can follow. And at one time, we could look to television and see some good father figures, but Father Knows Best has become Father Knows Nothing on most TV shows and movies. Uh, Many of you can't depend on your own experience growing up to provide a model. Uh, Maybe you grew up in a single-parent home. Uh, Maybe your father was a self-indulgent king of the castle. Uh, Maybe he was a dominating dictator. Um, maybe he ab- abdicated his leadership and there was anarchy in the home with no one in charge. Or maybe you had a weak father with a domineering mother. So where can we turn to find an example, instruction on how to be a very influential father? Well, thankfully we have an instruction manual, the Word of God. And so I'd like us to turn to a one verse that we're going to look at today, Ephesians 6. Four. Ephesians 6, 4. A very instructive chapter 
at the end of the book of Ephesians. Let's ask God to bless our looking at his word this morning. Father, uh, thank you that you have left us with instructions from your perspective so that we do not have to look around at uh, the ungodly examples that we see everywhere, uh, but that, that you have given us uh, what we need in order to be the kind of parent that you want us to be, whether it's parenting our own children or mentoring those with whom we might come in contact. We pray you bless our understanding this morning as we look into what you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you notice there in uh, chapter 6, verse 4 of Ephesians, it begins fathers, and we've already expanded that into a way in which it would include all of us in some way or another. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, the word provoke there, uh, the NIV has uh, it translated as exasperate, and I think that's a good word for this. Uh, do not exasperate your children. Don't bring them to anger. Now, I think it's an interesting force, important for us to understand that in the Greek language, there are two different words for anger. Uh, one is the word which is uh, thumos, which means to boil over. Now, that's the kind of anger that uh, you know, something happens and, and you just explode. The other word that's translated anger is the word orge, which means uh, anger that comes about as a result of being aware of things and deliberating and uh, slowly, slowly coming along until finally the anger comes out. The kind of anger that's referred to here in this verse is the second of those two, uh, orge. So, and I think this is very helpful for us because as parents, there are going to be times when our children are just going to explode in anger at us. You know, you don't love me. We've all, if you're a parent, you've all experienced it, right? And I don't know that there's anything you can do to, to keep that from happening. It's going to happen because, you know, our children have sinful natures. And uh, they're going to get mad when they don't get their own way. But what God is instructing us here is to make sure that we are not provoking in our children the kind of anger which is slow and deliberative and that builds up over years. Because often that kind of anger not only is toward us, but because of our place in that child's life, it also can be towards God. Now, I think there are ways that we can avoid this. Uh, There are a couple of of extremes that we can avoid. Uh, First of all, we need to avoid overburdening our children with rules not in line with their development or personality or even gender. In Proverbs 22.6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Now, oftentimes you may have heard that verse used as saying, train him up in the ways of the Lord, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Well, I can give you plenty of examples where children were trained up according to the ways of the Lord, and they've departed. That's not what the verse is saying. What the verse is saying is, train up the child according to his way. In other words, be 
conscious of the different ways in which children learn, in which children prosper, and even things about our children that are different by way of maturity and gender. Now, one of the things that our daughter used to complain to us about as our son went into his teenage years is that the rules we had for him were not as strict as what we had for her. And we had to explain to her, you're two different people. <laughs> you know, you're two different genders. There are a lot of things different about the hours that we would expect uh, him to keep and you and the places that, that he would go and so on. Each child is different. So we need to be aware of uh, some ways in which we overburden children. We need to be aware of overprotectionism. You know, oftentimes teens go wild when they finally get out of their restrictive environment, if we have restricted them so much. We need to make sure that as children grow, we allow them more and more freedom as they develop. Allow them to be able to make mistakes. That's how they learn. That's how they develop. We need to be careful of favoritism. Uh, you know, the prime example is the Smothers Brothers. I don't know if you remember that. Mom always liked you best. Uh, you know, the, the one brother had a, a dog and a bicycle, and the other one had a chicken and, and a wagon with three wheels. And uh, You know, we need to be careful not to show favoritism to our children and at the same time maybe have different ways in which we deal with them and explain that to them. We need to make sure that we are not discouraging them from trying. You know, telling them that, uh, they're, that they're no good or that they can't do something. Uh, or, or sometimes setting a standard of perfection that's so high that they can't accomplish it. I mean, sometimes we can make it so difficult for a child to succeed because we have such perfectionistic uh, standards that we set that they get the idea, why should I try? I know that, that was a problem I had in growing up. It got to the point where, I, 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 why try anything? It's never going to be good enough. We need to be careful about discouraging them trying. We need to be careful about disrespecting their ideas. You know, l- listen to what our children have to say. It doesn't mean we have to agree with them or we have to give in to them, but uh, give them a chance to express themselves in a respectful way uh, and, and listen to what they have to say. We also have to be careful of neglect, uh, and that includes listening. Uh, one of my favorite illustrations of how I had to learn this as a young father was uh, when uh, I uh, was uh, reading the paper. Well, let me preface it with this. When our, our daughter Kristen was little, very little, uh, my wife kept saying, because she was stuck at home all day, and she kept saying, I wish Kristen would talk. I wish she could talk. She was too little. You know? And I said, because I had grown up with four younger siblings, and she hadn't. I said, be careful what you wish for. And sure enough, as soon as Kristen learned how to talk, she never stopped. <laughs> so she was constantly talking. <laughs> and so sometimes I would be sitting in a chair reading the paper, and she would come and sit on the armchair, about three years old, I think. And she'd be talking and talking, and, you know, you kind of tune it out after a while because she's just always talking. But one day as I was sitting there, she said, Daddy, are you listening? I said, "Uh uh-huh, I'm listening. And she reached over 
and put two hands on both sides of my face and turned my head towards her face. I said, Daddy, are you listening? Okay, I get it. I get it. She knew I really wasn't paying attention. We need to pay attention to really listen. Don't neglect when they're talking to us. Uh, there's a, a letter from a son that um, I think I'm going to skip over. Uh, it's too small for you to see anyway, probably. Uh, but it's a letter from a son in which he tells his parents that he is uh, leaving. Uh, and the reason is, he said, I, I just want somebody to listen to me. You know, he says, Mom, you're a great cook. You know, you've always done everything. But, you know, I would have liked crackers and peanut butter if you'd only sat down once in a while during the day and said, tell me all about it so I can maybe help you understand. So we need to make sure that we are not neglecting them in the sense of, of uh, making sure we're listening to our children. Uh, listening parents embrace their children. Non-listeners embitter them. We need to be aware of bitter words and outright physical cruelty. Uh, that certainly would go without saying, but, uh, but sometimes uh, those things happen. Uh, Josh McDowell says this, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. We have to be very careful as parents that when we have rules, that it's because of a relationship that we have with our children. And we need to teach our children the same thing is true of God. God doesn't give us a bunch of rules to follow because he's a mean, nasty overlord and we need to do what he says or he's going to get us. We have rules because we have a relationship with him. The uh, second extreme that we need to avoid is uh, the opposite, and that's not providing sufficient guidelines. Uh, I came across this a few years ago and thought this was, uh, was fun. Uh, ten things we'd like to hear Dad say. Now, as each of these come up, I want you to put your hand up if you would like your dad to say this, okay? Uh, first of all, uh, the first, uh, see, number ten. Uh, could you turn your music up louder so I can enjoy it too? How many of you? Yeah. Uh, I kind of had the opposite problem. My kids told me to turn my music down. Uh, curfew is just a general time to shoot for. I'm not running a prison. And if you'd like to hear that. Number eight, I don't mind air conditioning the whole neighborhood. Leave the door open. Yeah. Number seven. Holding this remote is such a burden. Somebody else take it for a while. <laughs> uh, number six, it looks like we're lost. I better stop and ask for directions. <laughs> number five, make all the rackets you want. I can sleep through anything. See one hand in the back, a couple hands up here. Uh, number four, my tools are your tools. Help yourself. <laughs> Three, your taste in clothes is quite remarkable. <laughs> Some of you would like to hear that. Uh, number two, while I'm gone, please feel free to invite all of your friends over. I'm seeing a lot of the same hands here. Uh, somebody should take note. Uh, and the number one thing we'd like to hear Dad say, your chores can wait. Go have fun. Yeah. Well, the next part of the instruction that we have here in Ephesians 6.4 is uh, introduced by the word but. So don't exasperate or provoke our children 
to anger, over years of, of, uh, of treating them either with overprotectionism or not enough guidelines. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word bring them up here is a word that really could be translated nourish. You know, you think about how you plant a tree and, uh, or any plant, and, and you give it uh, uh, some miracle grow, and you make sure the soil is good, and, and you, uh, you nurture that tree. Uh, and, and we want to nurture or nourish our children. How do we do that? What is the nourishment that we give them? Well, it's not talking about food. It's talking about discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline indicates what we teach them by our actions. What, how do we teach them by our actions? By lovingly giving boundaries and then lovingly disciplining when those boundaries are crossed. When children are small, discipline needs to be mostly physical. I'm amused when I see parents trying to logically reason with a two-year-old. It can't be done. They need to know physically right away not to do that again. But as children get older, we give them more and more reasoning and less and less physical punishment. Uh, We need to be physical in affection. For example, you know, a hug, pat on the back, a scalp rub. You know, a lot of times that changes as children get older. I know as children become teenagers, some don't like to to hug anymore. It's embarrassing. You know, uh, sometimes just a pat on the back for them. Uh, For boys especially, physical contact with their dads is very important. Remember, one of the things that stuck out out to me in a course I took in seminary uh, called Christian Family with Professor Howard Hendricks. Uh, this was before I even had children, and, uh, and I remembered this all through the years. He said that when he asked his boys, his grown boys, what they remembered most about the things that he had done with them. And he was thinking about all the, you know, the trips they had taken, the places they had gone, and, you know, the special events and, and all that. And you know what they said to him? Dad, we liked it when he got on the floor and wrestled with us. What a simple thing. And so surprising to him. And so that's one of the things I determined, that if I ever had a son, uh, we would wrestle. And we did. In fact, my, uh, my son sent me a, a card once that exemplified that. Let's see, I guess I'm a little behind here. Uh, be physical in affection. Well, I got way behind. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, He says, it's Father's Day, Dad, so if we end up wrestling today, I'll let you win for a few minutes before crushing you like a bug, as usual. And then he adds, or in basketball. Well, one of the things, I always wrestled with him. I quit wrestling with him when he got as big as I was, partly in fear of damaging furniture in the room and partly in fear of damaging me in the room. Uh, So uh, uh, we always had a basketball hoop. I I learned from watching a TV movie once how important place that was for conversation. And so we were always out shooting hoops, and 
And of course, it started out with me giving him two points per basket and me only taking one just to kind of make it a little bit competitive. Uh, ended up with him giving me two points per basket and him only taking one, and he was only half trying. Uh, so that's why he put that on there. Uh, but having those physical kind of uh, contact, with, especially between boys and their dad, is important. So be physical and affection. Next, spend time together. Spend time doing their things. You know, uh, getting down on the floor and playing cars. You know, now with my grandkids, if I get down on the floor to play cars, I'm going to make sure this is going to be, we're going to be doing that for a while. I, I can't, none of this getting down and back up and doing, okay, we're going to do this for a while, right? I don't want to get down here and then, you know, you guys decide to do something else. Uh, so doing their things, playing the things that uh, they want to do. Next, uh, doing your things. You know, in- include your children in what you're doing. If you're working on the car, if you're going on errands, you know, uh, what a simple thing. Hey, come on with me. I'm going to go to, the, to Lowe's and pick something up. You know, take them with you. Uh, it, it, uh, Boswell was the guy who wrote a, bi- a famous biography of Samuel Johnson in the 18th century, I think it was. And, of course, back in those days, people kept journals. And someone, looking through Boswell's journal, noticed that he had indicated a particular day that just stood out in his life as a day in which he went fishing with his dad and just went on and on about what a great day it was to spend with his father. Well, because everybody wrote journals back then, uh, someone decided to try to find out what his dad said about that day. They thought, this, this will be really great. And they did. They found his father's journal. They found that particular day. And this is what his father wrote in the journal. Gone fishing today with my son. A day wasted. He didn't even realize what an important day that was. And so often, we don't realize the little things that we can do and what an impact it can have on our children or grandchildren or someone that we're mentoring. And then most importantly of all, and this is sometimes the hardest thing, is to spend time together doing God things. You know, I don't know why it is, but it's so hard for men to communicate our our spiritual interest. But we need to do that with our children. Spend time doing God things together. Praying together, reading the Bible. I mean, you, you could come up with your own list of how to accomplish that. All right, so we are to uh, discipline our children, that is, to nourish them. Uh, Secondly, we are to uh, give them instruction, that is, training by words. So through actions and through words, whether of encouragement or, if necessary, reproof. Both sides of that. Uh, So how do we do that? First of all, be verbal in affection. Uh, again, sometimes it's hard to, to, for men to, to say uh, to their children, uh, I love you. Uh, we need to do that. We need to be verbal in our encouragement. Uh, no child should go through one day without at least one encouraging word. You know, like home on the range, you know, <laughs> we're never said a discouraging word. We need to say encouraging words to our children. Uh, one of the things that uh, really meant a lot to me is when uh, somehow we came across this journal entry that my daughter wrote in, uh, must have been her senior year of high school. 
and she's writing a she had to write about somebody and she's decided to write about her parents and she talked about you know where we were from and how we met and all that um but she said this they mean a lot to me because they have always stood behind me as long as i did my best as long as i did my best they would be proud of me i love my parents for teaching a lot and for being there they have tried their hardest to be good parents now lest you think that that's because we were such wonderful parents and had everything together and always did things right. Just a couple of years before this, there appeared in my daughter's bedroom door a hole from when she was storming off into her room and slamming her door, and I thought I could get to the door first before it actually latched and didn't. That hole stayed there for about a decade, just to, uh, as a reminder you know, I was angry, she was angry, you know, we, we, all always, we didn't always do things right. But she knew that our intentions were to always to be behind her and to be satisfied with her best. Uh, Martin Luther said this, Spare the rod and spoil the child, it is true, but beside the rod, keep an apple to give him when he does well. All right, next, we also need to be verbal in our reproof. And that should always be in private, never in public. Oh, my heart aches for children, and I see parents yelling at when they're out in a public place, in a store or whatever, and especially when they're berating them. You know, those kinds of things should be done in private and not with name-calling. Always use the opportunity to point out the nature of man is to sin. We need to to make sure that our children know that the reason they sin is because they're a sinner. And the remedy for that is in Jesus Christ. Uh, And and not just tear into them and uh, put them down. We need to share intimate thoughts and experiences, especially spiritual ones, which tightens the emotional bonds. When you share your thoughts with your child, it's more likely he will share his thoughts with you. You know, sometimes your parents say, oh, my kids never tell me anything. Well, how often do you tell them anything of a personal nature? You know, we, we need to encourage that in our children by example. Well, in conclusion, I, I want to uh, share some insight from Josh McDowell. And again, you probably can't read that. It's so small, but I'll, I'll read the important parts to you. Uh, a person's behavior is based on his values. But where do the values come from? From his beliefs. And where do his beliefs originate? Josh McDowell says, I struggled with this for years, and then one day it came to me. What causes a young person to believe is relationships. Relationships lead to beliefs. Beliefs form values. Our values drive our behavior. And Josh cited several scriptures showing the connection of relationship with behavior. You know, like in the Psalms where it says, I am constantly aware of your unfailing love. That's the relationship with God. And I have lived according to your truth. That's the behavior. See, our behavior comes from relationship with God, and our children's behavior will come out of the relationship they have with us. It's the same with our children. To get them to walk in our way, we must build a strong relationship with them. As Josh McDowell says, 
Once again, truth without relationship leads to rejection. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. So, ask ourselves the questions. Do we have a relationship with Jesus Christ that would encourage our children, grandchildren, mentorees to pursue the same? Will they look at us and say, that's the kind of person I want to be? Do we provide a climate that encourages children or irritates them? Do we listen to our children, our grandchildren? Do we consider our children or grandchildren a bother or a blessing? Are we honest with our children, grandchildren? And do we spend time with our children and grandchildren? It doesn't have to be a big plan. Just spending the time together can have a great impact upon those over whom we have some kind of spiritual oversight, whether it be our biological children or whether it be somebody else's over, over whom we might have some influence. Father, thank you that you've given us some instruction here, and I pray that you will use it in all of our lives, that, that maybe there will be a point here or there that might stick with each one of us and to say, yeah, that's something that I need to do. And may you be honored through our efforts, and may you bless us as we attempt to live our lives in such a way as to have an influence on the generations coming behind us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.